Oh, what a podcast. What a lovely podcast. Things turn apocalyptic for April as your hosts talk all things Mad Max on Normies Like Us. Oh, what a day. What a lovely day. They have seen me turn They have seen me mad. You will ride eternal, shiny and cruel. Just walk away. You want to get out of here? Talk to me. Whoa! Listen to those motors, Normies. They're running wild on a very special episode where things are going to get a little rock and roll. They're going to get a little heavy. They're going to get a little post-apocalyptic as we enter uh, the first episode of what we're calling Aprilocalypse or Aprilocalypse. April. We'll talk about that. But anyways, we're here. We're talking Mad Max on Normies Like Us with your hosts. Uh, I'm going to be Crazy Colin. Uh, and then I guess I'll be Mad Mike. Uh, I'm Morton Joe. Uh, I'll be uh, Blood Boy Jacob. Just a little Blood Boy. Oh, we got to know what your blood today. type is. <laughs> the lifeblood of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to figure out the, the phonetics. Aprocalypse is not that great to say, but... Uh, Aprilocalypse. Aprilocalypse. But we are in the wasteland. It kind of makes sense that we're going from... Uh, you know, we were talking Doom last week, and then Mad Max in some ways uh, is like the Doom of movies because it's just so ridiculous and over the top and uh, high octane. So they kind of they lead together in a nice way. It is hyper uh, masculine, some people will say, although maybe we'll dispute that in this episode. And of course, as the world around us turns more towards an apocalypse, we thought eh, maybe we'll fill it up with April of stuff, of post apocalyptic stuff, or like. The Wastelands, like Mike said. So we're talking Mad Max. I'll ask you guys right now, how familiar are you with Mad Max? Mike? Uh, well, I'm a big Mad Max fan. I've been a fan, you know, most of my life. My dad is like, a, he's really into like weird planes and stuff. So they have like a gyrocopter in one and a weird airplane in Thunderdome. And he would always have these. Uh, so we would watch Mad Max, Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome back in the day. I think Fury Road is in my top 10, at least, of all time movies. I have the comic book. I haven't played the game, but I love these movies. I think they're they're absolutely awesome. So wow, you yeah. got fuel in your veins, Mike. I'm very excited to hear that. I am awaited. Uh, you are awaited. So are my other two hosts, Shiny and Chrome. Joe, do you love Mad Max? Oh, of course I love Mad Max, man. How could you not love Mad Max? It's uh, one of my one of my favorite franchises. Pretty pretty familiar. Played the game, read the comic, um, seen all the movies. Didn't see the original movies in order. I think that's kind of um, something that is fun to talk about. Like, were these movies that you, you you were family movies with? Or, like, for me, they were not. They were caught it on sci-fi and was like, what is this? Did not see them. Wow, that shocks me. Hmm. Okay. And uh, Bloodbag Jacob, how about you? Yeah, um... I like Mad Max too. Um, I'm not as familiar with the older movies, uh, but you know, I know, I I, th- I think I've seen some of them a long time ago. But obviously, I've seen the new movie, uh, love that movie, and uh, played the video game. So you know, I'm familiar with it for sure. And I just want to say, kind of as Colin was alluding, that this April apocalypse, apocalypse, whatever, we'll just switch it up the whole time, so there's no consistency. Don't worry. Um, 
yeah, we're definitely looking at these as more of a primer for the world to come. So we're just preparing ourselves. We'll be going through many different apocalyptic <laughs> scenarios, whether it be zombies, etc. So stick with us through. Yeah, we're going to get survival tips from these, Mike. A lot we're of water. Out, yeah. Do you guys want to eat two-headed lizards? How much dog food can you scarf down? Like, <laughs> would you be good in these circumstances? I want to dig into that, too. What um, car would you drive? Yeah, well, we'll answer all that at the end. What did we learn from Mad Max to help us survive? <laughs> I'm basically hoarding a lot of water so that when the Mad Max apocalypse comes, I'll be the king and make everyone be, you know, do things for me. So that'll be uh, Don't become addicted to water, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and that. other than like <laughs> yeah. Jacob, other than in this world where people wear like hockey pads and stuff to show that they're like badasses, you're wrapped in toilet paper. I find that very <laughs> offensive. Yeah, my throne it's, is built out of toilet paper too. It's a status symbol now, yeah. Yeah. Just drinking hand uh, I'll sanitizer. Jump in. I'll give my history a little <laughs> bit on this guy. Uh, I love Please. these movies. Um, Joe, it shocked me what you said. I think this was, other than Star Wars, the first franchise I was exposed to by my father. He got the three VHS tapes like when I was six, and we were done. Mm. <laughs> no, that was my Indiana Indiana Jones. Uh, no, yeah, probably yeah. before that. And I would say up until Evil Dead, this was the franchise that had the biggest impact on me. I would be like in elementary school thinking about the wasteland existing in like the desert and like driving around like a maniac. It's probably got also tying back to the Doom episode, going, listen, like one of the coolest shotguns in cinema. He's got that sawed off Benelli, like that thing's so sick. And Evil Dead also has a sick shotgun. So there's, there's connective tissue. So go All listen to both of those episodes. Like that. Exactly. Um, ooh, before one. we jump, jump in, let me ask you this too. Um, oh, two-parter as we go mm-hmm. around and answer one last part. I guess, like, how big was Mel Gibson in your life? How affected were you by him? Obviously, in the time we grew up, um, Braveheart was coming out on DVD. It was like one of the first three DVDs made. It was a huge experience. How big was he? And have you ever been to Australia? I have not. Uh, I'll jump in then. Uh, I have not been to Australia, so the second part of that is done. I would love to go, and I would probably want to go look at some of the filming locations, although that would also take me to Namibia, Namibia, if we conclude the newest one. Uh, Mel Gibson-wise, yeah, he's uh, he's been canceled, you know, in a way, so I have to separate him from these movies. I love the character of Max Rokostansky. What a cool name. And as far as Braveheart, I never really loved that movie, you know, but uh, as far as Mad Max goes, Mac Rakatansky is immortal and Mel Gibson, you know, whatever. Were you a lethal weapon guy? Never a lethal weapon guy. I was no, too young for me that neither. shit. Neither. Joe, how about you? Um no Australia yet, although that's definitely on the bucket list. And Mel oh, Gibson. Too scary. Like, I could just leave him. Don't don't care about him at all. And I think one of the best things about this franchise is you don't need Mel Gibson. I think anyone could be Mad Max, and that's another reason I love it. Hmm. Plus, when you uh, replace him with an actor like Tom Hardy, I mean, oh come God. on. Tom Hardy's great. I'm staying on this podcast. All right. Have yeah, you ever been to Australia, no, I just, <laughs> What's that? Have you ever been Any to Australia? Other yeah, yeah. No, I have not. I've been to Outback Steakhouse. I used oh, to work there. there. Basically the oh, same. you know what? Actually, I think oh, you're yeah. going to bring a very you're interesting expert. perspective to this <laughs> yeah, podcast, you, you Jacob, can say as I'm our expert. most Aussie fan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I they love Blooming Onions over there. Oh, Obviously. yeah. <laughs> Everything <laughs> I know about Australian cuisine. Mm-hmm. Everything I know about Australia comes from friend of the show, Tea Time. Uh, check him out on Crunchyroll and the TGS, the God Squad. 
That's right. I was thinking about that, Mike. This is like the Mm -hmm. one episode we should have reached out to Tim to be on. He's from Australia. Uh, And this is just a cool normies. This is a a franchise where I think a lot of people would want to talk about it. There is some niches. There is some normies. So, okay, that was the opening. Let's go ahead. Let's dive in. Let's talk about these movies. Let's fuel up. Let's go. Let's get mad. Max. Normies, we're back. We're living in a land down under. Um, we're talking some Ozploitation, maybe the film that made it. We're talking 1979's Mad Max, directed by George Miller, starring Mel Gibson. I liked what Joe said, that this franchise can exist beyond him. Um, but I also like what Mac, what Mike said. He is Max Rokotansky to me. I, I do like him as the character Mad Max. Yeah, I mean... It's weird because, like, they wanted to get an American actor so it would have more appeal. He was born in America and living in Australia. So, like, all right, it's one of his first movies. So they were able to get him pretty cheap. And he, you know, they weirdly dubbed it in English. So I, you know, we saw it later. So we saw probably the Australian accent version, which is superior. But I was going to say, Mike, did you see the dub cut? I don't think a lot of people have. That notoriously failed here in America. But they were able to basically sell it to Japan and make it have the huge worldwide reach that these films have had. Mm -hmm. I think like the theatrical cut was like the dubbed one. And then by the time we got VHSs, it was the original. And it really did put like Australia on the map as like a filmmaking like force and like really brought action genre films back into the forefront because right after this oh, you get yeah. Rambo and all that shit comes like immediately on the tail of Mad Max so Oh that's interesting Mike I was also going to make the claim that Rambo is kind of the series that is closest to it you have the first films being mm. so separate from the rest of the franchise a quiet film you know very introspective and then the others are balls to the wall like we figured out what you like about these franchises and by the time yeah you get to the fourth one it's just all explosion all the time <laughs> that's a very apt comparison have you guys ever seen another aussie exploitation film i kind of got into these after this period and the only one i've ever seen is a film called razorback which is their version of jaws it is about a giant boar attacking people in the australian outback and if you haven't seen the special effects high recommend normies <laughs> it's like, like 20 to 50 feral hogs it's a hell of a film yeah, i recommend checking it out it was filmed here in the outback Oh, here we go. Now we're yeah. going to do all this bad stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, sick, Kent. Um, um, I have not seen these. I know there's a whole genre of Australian westerns that I, like, really need to get into. And, like, this is compared to a western in a lot of ways, too. So there is some some relation there. But I would love to check out more Australian I guess you'd call cinema. those Vegemite westerns, Mike, instead of spaghetti westerns. <laughs> Kangaroo yeah, I like westerns, that. I think, is the genre. Kangaroo yeah. <laughs> westerns, that's even better. Right. Okay, but we're talking Mad Max. So this is the first film. Like I said, it's a little quieter. It's different. It takes place in the future, but it is not the post-apocalypse yet. Things are just bad. Gangs rove the earth. Um, Max works for the Max Protection Police Force. He's sort of uh, trying to keep things together. Yeah, yeah. Basically, this is kind of based on the oil crisis in 1979. You know, there's a shortage of oil and like people are starting to panic. So George Miller was thinking, well, what if... This lasted for 10 years. What would what would things look like? And that's Ooh. kind of our starting point. Um, I think it was originally going to be that Max was a paramedic just becoming desensitized with all like the vehicular like accidents happening and stuff. And they're like, oh, now we need to turn it to a cop. Uh, have you guys seen this, Joe, Jacob? What, what do you guys know about the original Mad Max? 
You have seen it? It was uh, the last one of the originals I saw, though. I mean, like I said, I caught these on TV when I was young. And, um, you know, starting with Thunderdome and then going to the first one is interesting. Wow. I thought a lot of people started with a Road Warrior, Joe. I'm very surprised to hear that. The backwards order. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I started with Road Warrior, uh, but yeah, Jacob, go ahead. I think Road Warrior is the one I remember most, and this one I don't remember too well, but I know this was like the earliest, like the early on before it's like really the apocalypse, right? Yeah, so the, yes. we're, we are in the prequel to this movie right now. Um, yeah. I think this is maybe my least favorite, um, but I do want to ask Colin, like this is maybe the most niche of Mad Max films, because if people are more familiar with Fury Road, for example, this is the furthest removed from that wasteland. Like we, like you said, we haven't even gotten there yet. This is really the preamble to Wasteland. Yeah, and you get a lot of weird crossovers, Mike. So obviously George Miller is the through line through all of this. He's the thread that keeps it together. An interesting man. Uh, he came to filmmaking late, sort of. Uh, he was making films his entire life, but he was also a physician, like well into his 40s. And during that time, he would make shorts and experimental things and release them out. And basically, he got the attention of a distributor, which he had no idea those existed. And the guy came to him and said, films can be shown outside of Australia. You could do something that plays in America if it wasn't a short, if you brought me a feature. He was like, oh, my God, I could? When you watch the first Mad Max, you think like, well, it's very DIY. He must have made it like two weeks after having that conversation with that guy. No, it was eight years later. Like, this is a meticulously crafted thing, actually. No, man. And, like, that makes sense because, like you said, it got popular in Japan. And he was like, if I'm going international, it'd be great to make a movie that didn't need so much subtitles. And especially later, like, the idea of Max being a silent-ish protagonist. But, yeah, how do you make something that can just read through action, like making the action kind of the focus so that an international audience could watch it easily? That whole that design focus carries through to Fury Road now, so that's like kind of a staple that we're going to see th- throughout the series. I also yeah, and Mike said, "Oh, sorry, Jacob. Let me get one last interesting point in." Yeah. Uh, Mike said a comment about how the casting of it was. Let's get a lot of like local weirdos and drunks. That is true. That's how they got most of the biker gangs and stuff. But George Miller was also very clever in saying, "Let me get a lot of established Australian actors as well." So half the cast was like Shakespearean actors. That's where you get Hugh Keen's Burn, who plays the villain Toecutter, who will eventually also play a Morton Joe. Mm, Which so it is, all ties back together. Yeah. Yeah. The original uh, villain is the villain of the most recent one. Then just the name Toecutter for a villain. It's just there's something Toe-cutter. about it, too. Laughing yeah. boy. <laughs> like he is developing a weird syntax that he's going to carry throughout. They have the Knight Rider in this is like one of the henchmen for Toecutter. Oh, the Knight Rider's the reason he's Mad Max, Mike. He is capable of driving as fast as the psychopaths, even though he works for the good guys. That is unheard of. Exactly. And, you know, it ends up basically becoming a revenge story. He is a police officer, and things are starting to go to hell. The gangs are roving the outback, taking advantage of the vulnerable peoples. And so their task is to protect those people, but the gangs eventually kill his wife and son, at which point Max gets mad. This is the... (laughs) <laughs> moment in his life that breaks Max, right? And really, he starts to lose his sense of self from here on and kind of embraces the chaos in the wasteland. And this is the, that it's like a, totally it's essentially like a prequel to, I think, the character of Mad Max. This is very much Max Rokostansky, uh for the last time in a long time in the franchise. 
Yeah. That's a beautiful way to put it, Mike. Um, the last thing I would say to point out for the first one before we do just, I say just jump into the second, because truly, mm-hmm. like Mike said, um, when they made The Road Warrior, George Miller was like, let's not even connect it to Mad Max. It was actually Mel Gibson who was like, no, 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 I liked all that stuff. Like, let's carry some of the through lines <laughs> through. Like, come on, man. But uh, I just want to shout out that climactic final scene in the first one. Max finally gets revenge on the laughing boy who killed his family. He's got him handcuffed to the car, throws him the saw and says, you don't have enough time before the car explodes to cut your or cut through the chain. You can only cut your leg off. That's where Saw got the bit. That is the homage uh, James Wan said they stole it from, from that script. What if wow. this was a whole movie, basically? Would uh, it really be that much faster to cut your, through your leg than no. to cut through the chain? He has no, some line not. like, that's like hot and steel. You take you 35 minutes to cut through that. Like, he kind of explains <laughs> that it's a very good chain. Oh, here we go. I'm going to cut through you now. As a kangaroo just jumps in the background. <laughs> exactly. they, are, they are very racist films. No, they're, they're so, Australian. Very Australian. But um, Right. I, so I'd if we look at, um, you know, the Road Warrior, that's kind of where I feel like the whole aesthetic of, of Mad Max was more developed, right? And like, you know, the, the wasteland as we know it now, right? Mm-hmm. And um, one thing to mention, too, is like establishing kind of the, the, the main takeaway was the high speed vehicle action, like being a standpoint and doing practical stunts, right? They did like more stunts than in any other film at the time of the original. So that's going to come back. But um, as Jacob said and Colin... They're kind of skipping ahead in time, not really connecting it like explicitly. It's just let's go full wasteland and they get really weird. And uh, in between this time, George Miller had pins to read Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Faces, which we love that book on this podcast. And he starts to look at Max as more of a folk hero who gets, you know, spoken word stories told about, you know, through the communities he interacts with. Yeah, because that's the thing I think is interesting with Mad Max, where every movie it's like him wandering into another settlement or another circumstances with different people involved in each one. And then every time at the end, he just kind of leaves and goes, goes back out on the road. Right. They're just, so I think that's very interesting. James Bond movies to me, like oh, wow. a much more unique universe with and yeah, anyone could be Mad Max to me. Uh, it's the world that is the real character you care about. And the crazier uh-huh. it gets, the more I love it. And that Absolutely. kind of leads to Look the, at the uh, opening lines of Road Warrior are, I remember when I met the Road Warrior. It's a legend being told. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, so let's say, you know, Mel Gibson, he's Mad Max. What if, and this might be a fan theory, you know, the Tom Hardy Mad Max, he's not even the same guy. That's just someone else who, you know, Mad Max, the original one passes his car down to this other guy somehow, or maybe he dies or something. And then this is just a totally different guy, yeah, but the folk hero Fury remains, Road, so he's they, still Mad Max. They mm. barely use the Interceptor, the car, so I would buy that, Jacob. And that's kind of the yeah. only gripe that I have with that film. Which I mm. love that. Well, he loses it right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... This, too, is like, you know, um, George Miller has been cited as mentioning films like Yojimbo and Seven Samurai as an influence for this. And you definitely read that when you watch it. Oh, yeah. Um, Can I tell a quick George Miller story? Sorry to go back to the first one real quick. But because Mike mentioned the incredible car stunts. Again, you guys have to understand. He was the first person to shoot an anamorphic uh, in Australia. He was just an innovative filmmaker doing stunts and stuff. A quick story about when his medical uh, license came in, though. On the opening, not even on the set, on the way to start pre-production on Mad Max, the stunt coordinator and the actress who was going to play Mel Gibson's wife originally were in a very bad car accident. 
And because George Miller was a doctor, he was able to assess them on the spot and be like, well, this happened, this happened, your leg's broken, we're fucked. And he would do that for the stunt guys all the time. Wow. Oh, man. Well, lucky, lucky for him. Yeah, the whole thing came from because he was like had a medical background and he would like hear stories from his superiors about like, how do you get desensitized? So like that spinning into a man oh, yeah. becoming desensitized to the violence around him in a yeah, wasteland Mike. is basically what's happening. And when do you have a genius on set sort of guiding the ship like that? Other than like if James Cameron like happened to mention something about like the depth of the water they were shooting in and everybody would be like, yeah, <laughs> I guess he probably knows. Yep. Um, but this is like his, but this and Happy Feet and Babe are like his contributions <laughs> to the cinematic world, right? It's like such a weird contrast. Yeah, yeah I was going to say earlier, if you look at his filmography, it's very strange how he's got this one thing and then on the, everything else he's made is like totally on the other side of things where it's like these, these animated kids movies. And it's three just, standalones, I believe, Witches of Eastwick, Lorenzo's Oil, and something else. I can't remember off the top of my mm. head. But Jacob, he's got these franchises, Babe, Happy Feet, and Mad Max. All three of those <laughs> make sense together. It's like sure. Doom and Animal Crossing. You got a palate cleanser. <laughs> right. He almost made the uh, the first Justice League movie, too. Justice League. Oh, uh, what could have been? That's uh-huh. right. He absolutely was tied in for that. That would have been great. Warner Brothers has canceled many of the things George Miller has been trying to make um, throughout the years, and we'll probably get into that later. Oh, his but biggest sh- enemies, Warner Brothers. <laughs> yes, I we know, will. Be talking it's crazy. About that, Mike. But the Road Warrior, I think, you know, it's my personal favorite. Well, it was until 2015, but it's they switch around. Ooh, um, I'm still there, buddy. Personal favorite. I I think this is. I mean, I, sometimes I think it's bigger for me than Evil Dead. Sometimes I think it's bigger wow. than like you know the good, the bad, and the ugly, or something. Like it is. It is a tone poem that exists to just be analyzed nonstop forever. All right, Joe, what about how do you feel about Road Warrior in a nutshell then? Uh, I, I agree with Colin, really. I mean, I love, like I said, it's, it's the universe that is the biggest character to me. And like the, the idea that he created something so unique but doesn't really over-explain anything, you just kind of buy it because there's a whole world built around it, right? Like every time something crazier happens, it doesn't, it doesn't shock you in a way that doesn't make sense, but it intrigues you in a way that you want to keep moving forward with them. Yeah, I think that's like a really strength uh, strength of the franchise is that there's just stuff happening, but it's not explained. It just scratched the surface. And then you see <laughs> the humongous and you're like, where did that guy come from? Who, who they don't tell guy? you. He's, he's just Why does out he have a, a guy who speaks for him who wears like broken spectacles? Right, what right. This? What is what is going on here? But it's like you just understand that there's some history that you don't know. And it doesn't matter because you're here in this fable. And very much like uh, Yojimbo or Seven Samurai, Max comes across a little village that's being harassed by bandits because they have oil and the bandits want it. And... That's kind of the whole plot is how does he help this village? And he's a reluctant hero, too, which is another big thing for the Max character, much like Clint Eastwood or, or Yojimbo um, in those films. Yeah, it's yes. just the story being you know thrust upon him and like it doesn't really matter what the story itself is. It's the, the action pieces that guide it. Yep. And the international success of the original Mad Max, like... Japanese audiences interpreted it as kind of a samurai movie. You know, Western audiences were like, oh, this is a cowboy movie. Like, so people were already projecting those kind of timeless heroes onto him. And George Miller really leaned into that when doing oh, yes. you know, Road Warrior and then Thunderdome. And I, I just love that about it. And that's maybe why it feels so timeless, because it's in such a unique setting. And like you said, it doesn't matter about Mel Gibson. It's the world uh, that really captivates you. And I, and the Road Warrior is so strong. So many amazing characters and moments. 
Yeah. It doesn't matter about Mel Gibson. Let me throw one bone his way. Obviously, he's a very bad person. Um, this is all, again, pre him believing that Jews were controlling the media. We we are led to believe. Which uh, uh, we categorically do not agree with. <laughs> which we do not. He probably <laughs> did believe that at this time, but who knows. But Yeah, um, he didn't say He it. was coming up with this stuff on set to have his uh, outfit from the last movie cut up and tattered into different patterns so it would look like it was well-worn. He came up with the limp and the leg brace after the accident of the first one where his leg is run over. He gave himself a haircut to make it look like he would actually be a survivalist doing those things and shaved off one of his eyebrows to look even crazier. Yeah, and that's tying in. Like you said, I like some of that original stuff. Let's bring that in. So he at least brought it into the character, like showing that he'd been kind of on journeys. But you could come in here, you know, cold and just be like, huh, this guy's been through some shit and have no knowledge of the toe cutter. Do you guys also remember that he was often described past this time? This this would be a little more towards like Lethal Weapon 3 time and when he was doing like a lot of other crazier stuff. But he was always called a prankster. This guy loves to do pranks on set. He's like George Clooney. All he does is, oh, if you're just sitting around, he'll take like an inappropriate picture with you. And that to me just screams like a guy I would not want to hang out with like <laughs> yeah, no, even a fucking second. Alone, Mel Gibson. Yeah, no. Uh, this has like... This kind of begins also the trope of like Mad Max, the core. Once you get past, you know, once you get into the road where they all kind of have the same third act where it's like a big chase with a truck. Even even the original Mad Max has a chase with a truck. Well, um, and Mike specifically, we're speaking towards going from A to B, turning around from B and going back to A. That is a little mm-hmm. brutal of a plot. Yeah, but, you know, it's this it's is about what Joseph happens Campbell. along the way. Oh, wow. And the friends you make journeys. <laughs> Yeah, and like so, this has like one of the sickest action scenes to this day. Like, if if you watch the final action scene, the big chase with the the oil rig and all the bandits trying to jump on, it's like the tanker. Yeah, the tanker, the fat, the juice. They're going to get the juice, and um, it's it's insanely good. There's that one shot. I don't know if you guys remember it, but the guy on the motorcycle hits the berm and he goes head over feet. He does like four or five rotations. He looks like a stiff, you know, piece of wood. Like, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> that oh, guy God. very nearly died, but they captured it on camera and were like, that, that's, that's going in the movie. Like, it wasn't supposed to be that dangerous. In the first movie, a guy falls and then a sliding motorcycle hits him in the back of the head. And that, that wasn't supposed to happen, but they're like, we're putting that in the movie. Luckily, nobody was seriously injured. But, like, the things that they were able to capture on film, whether it was someone jumping from one car to another, these crazy explosions or cars flipping, they were doing all this practically in the early 80s. It's insane like what they were putting on film is unlike anything anybody else was and it really made action the star like and brought the action genre to the forefront you know it's about the explosions so when was the last time any of you guys was in a car accident i have not been Um, in a minute right extremely minor in 2018 extremely minor though jacob um well i was rear-ended like uh like last summer but like that's pretty it was pretty minor too all right i got you guys i didn't tell you this i was rear-ended about four months ago super minor literally just the imprint of the square of the license plate not even the numbers on the back right nothing that made it so i couldn't sit down for two weeks i had to either stand Uh, or lay on my stomach now imagine you live in this post-apocalyptic world where every day you are getting in at least three car crashes a day you have had one sip of water 
and you've eaten your lizard <laughs> right. leg. You're not going to eat that second head yet. So, so let me ask you guys right now, are you surviving in this world? I would survive for sure. No, I would, I would just be humongous's love toy. <laughs> oh, That's the only way so I, I would be make Wes, it. you know, Wes, the leather choice. boy next to humongous, yeah, yeah. uh, Mike, who's got the little boy on the leash. I would be that yeah. little boy on the leash. He's like, Ooh, <laughs> Oh yeah. I'll suck your fucking dick. Whatever to get me. I out wouldn't here. be as competent as feral child with his head cutting boomerang. Like I would be way worse at surviving than that kid that max teams. Up no, they would, would not you. be good. Yeah. I'd be done for. Um, but this one, it's it's super sick. I mean, like I said, you have the, a boomerang that decapitates people. You have Humongous telling him just to walk away. Walk There's the old away. switcheroo at the end. Uh, it's like the switcheroo at the end um, with the tanker is incredible. Two writing things I want to do the standpoint of that I would also consider switcheroos. The opening narration, this eloquent. I remember when I met the road boy. You know, when the time did this and that in our tribe before we came together and went to the great north. And you're like, okay, what is this? Who's this guy going to be? That's the feral child. That's incredible. And then mm-hmm. when he talks about his tribal leader, and then at the end says, and I remember when the road warrior left us, and I never saw him again, and the gyro captain was our leader. Oh, my God. That blew my mind as a kid. Yeah, that is like the kind of stuff, because you think that maybe later on Max is telling, you know, like, who who is it, the leader? You don't expect it to be the child. Like, that is such a cool, like, storytelling. And like I said, making him a folk hero, essentially, is like, a really smart play, like Joe said. Anybody yeah. could be Mad Max, and he's just this drifter going from settlement to settlement, scenario to scenario. Yeah, he meets up with John Henry Irons after that. Jacob, they go see that big blue cow, <laughs> all that fucking folksy hero stuff. Yeah, well, it's just like Clint Eastwood, you know, and fistful of dollars, and you know, it's just right. drifting through. Yeah, if anyone's kind of a timeless like- trope ever taken a look at anything Colin and I have written together, I think it's pretty obvious how big of an influence these are. the only thing are. we think about. Um, is, I mean, like the world... people in mass terrorizing each other. <laughs> yeah. So Max walks into the sunset. If we're done talking Road Warrior, again, I would say the best. Mike's saying maybe the best. You two love it as well as maybe your first experience. That gets us to what a lot of people consider the series low. I was surprised, Mike, that you said the first one's your least favorite because right now we're beyond the Thunderdome, baby. Thunderdome. Yeah, but I am. Uh, me saying it's my least favorite is, or not, I mean, the original is my least favorite is because, like, I also really like Rocky Four, and that is, like, the campiest one. And this is, like, definitely the campiest Mad Yeah, Max. but at least you're not, like, in the street fight of number five, baby. I, I, I would call no, no, I would never. call number one the number five. You're right. This is, like, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. this is the Batman and Robin of the franchise. Absolutely, Jacob. That is Thanks. exactly right. And not because Tina Turner wishes she was doing a Poison Ivy impression in this movie. <laughs> right. But she does do some wicked songs for it. As uh, anti-entity, and it is no surprise, um, this album like went gold. Like people fucking loved it. Uh, George Miller completely checked out at this point in pre-production. Again, there was another accident. A friend of his was uh, killed in a helicopter crash, and he almost didn't even direct the movie. I mean, he's so checked out oh, that wow. literally Mel Gibson is shooting a lot of it at this point. Yeah, and he gets his friend to also co-direct. Um, so it's kind of. A, a lot different it's it's a little bit more toned down the violence and everything it's it's definitely a little bit sillier well and you know what's happened by this point to cinema uh it's the same thing that destroyed conan the destroyer the second film after conan the barbarian et has come out et has come out and film studios now believe just having children in a movie is important and will actually make the movie make a ton of money beyond thunderdome 
has Peter Pan imagery. It's got an entire child subplot. You remember the before four times. And it's like, oh, this isn't Mad Max. Shoot those kids and eat them. Yeah, yeah but, but again. Also, Mad Max, that's another thing, like, character-wise. He's he's always yeah. with kids. Like, that's one of those, like, weird, you know, people call it hyper-mask or whatever. But it's, like, always about, like, fatherhood in a weird way. Truly. Well, it's like he loses his child in the original film and gets revenge. Then he's constantly encountering children that are in need of protection. And even though he wants to just be left alone and do his own thing, his like conscience, like he can't not help those in need. And that's right. kind of him being the reluctant hero. For sure. He's got a heart of gold, that Rockstansky. He does. He's a mad man, but he's a good man. Um, and so we should point out, Jacob and, I, children. <laughs> Jacob and I will be going as Master Blaster for Halloween. Uh, he who's will Master be, and who's Blaster? No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm Blaster, baby. Jacob's going in the, in the little pouch on my stomach. Hell yes. yeah. like so we get we get max coming upon like a group of children who were in a plane crash right and you know he's also trying to figure out you know what's going on he gets to tina turner's compound that's where the thunderdome is located and like even that scene is so famous you know two men enter one man leave but it's got it is i would really like to point out very quickly just because you brought it up mm -hmm. mike the 747 boeing that goes down uh that the kids are living in in the middle of the desert now since that film was pre this that would be a Richard Branson. It would be a virgin, wouldn't it? Because he's a British mega maniac who owns all those airplanes. It would be a virgin plane in the middle of the desert. Maybe we'll get... Um, and it, also people have compared like Mad Max like Jesus in some instances. So having a virgin airplane and <laughs> it all could tie in. Um, but surely, uh, you know, there's elements of this movie that are very classic, but also... They just age poorly. Like the Thunderdome itself is a cool idea, but why are there bungee cords? You know, like, couldn't it just been a, <laughs> yeah. a death dome, but instead it's like got this weird global guts vibe going on? Oh, it sucks. But I would say, Mike, it enters the syntax, the lexicon. Everybody says, everybody knows what the Thunderdome is. And people do say one man, two men enter, one man leaves all the time. Mm -hmm. It's been in the Simpsons. Yeah, I think there's right been a ton of influence just from the aesthetic of these movies on onto a ton of stuff. Like it's been a huge influence, right? Yeah, and we'll probably definitely get into that um, in a later section because it's it's definitely had a trickle down effect. But even the scene when he walks into the compound and they're like, "All right, give me your weapons," and he just keeps finding new places to pull them out of, and it's like that's like. John Wick. Yeah, like that's a throwback that gets called into the 2015 later. Oh, for sure. This one is not my favorite. They do have a very strange airplane, that little like crop duster in this. Um, I well, the gyro captain returns in this mm -hmm. movie, although he does not play the same character. It's all very confusing. I never liked that as a child, too, even though, again, like you guys are saying, a lot of the myths can be non-canon and conflict with each other. Eh, I don't know. Um, but the interesting thing, of course, being Barter Town in this is the only city we've seen in the Mad Max world that runs on electricity through through pig shit. Yeah. So you got to love that, too. You know, it's very green. It's very ahead of its time. I forgot that Barter Town did run on pig shit. It's been a while since I've seen this one. Oh, very progressive. Yeah. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, but not there's also like a hooky in vibe to this one. I mean, you mentioned all the Peter Pan imagery, but like. The pulley systems and like 
all of the almost like bangering esque uh, production design. Well, he's got the crazy long hair in it too at the beginning, Joe. He looks yeah. like uh, a hook character. That's true, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you have literally the Lost Boys on down plane, and then they're trying to... Yeah, fucking, yeah, fucking Rufio's on Rufio. that plane, too. I would lose my mind. I love Joe. their little tech, though, where they hold up two torches, and they make, like, a TV screen out of the twigs, and then they make them look through a, uh, a Viewmaster, and it just has pictures of cities, but when you look at it with the flames in the back, it's, like, telling the story <laughs> of the nuclear apocalypse. So sometime after... Road Warrior, and now there's also been a nuclear disaster, apparently. Um, whether or not they're connected is up for debate, but theoretically that's when it would have happened is after Road Warrior. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, Mike, you mentioned how prescient Thunderdome was and of its time. Let's talk about a film that is very prescient to now, <laughs> a little before its time. Fury Road, in which a maniac with crazy hair who can barely talk or move controls the whims of his people... A, a group of painted white proud boys who worship him at every moment, and he decides what uh, resources they'll get to survive the apocalypse. So, so what does that sound like, my boys? Twenty twenty. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Morton Trump. There. I live for a Morton <laughs> Trump. Make yeah. the wasteland great again. <laughs> they are. They're little magas. Don't become addicted to ventilators. <laughs> um. Ooh. So Fury Road, though, I mean, this... So fucking Fury Road, Mike, it's 20 years, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, 30 years, 1985 is the last time we get uh, Thunderdome, and I think 2015 is, is yep. when we get uh, Fury Road. 30 years, and they had been trying to make it, like, for all 30 of those years. <laughs> like, they were going to do a fourth Mad Max film with Mel Gibson, it was supposed to be the final one, and it kept getting started or canceled or... Warner Brothers would pull the plug. Global crises. Exactly. A lot of droughts, a lot of writer strikes, which is the same thing that got the Justice League movie that Joe was talking about earlier. And he's also obsessed with, he has this master um, magnum opus book called Mad Max The Wasteland that he just wants to turn into a movie. It's not working. So over the years, he's done chapters of it. That is what Fury Road is. It is a piece of this epic that he wants oh. to tell in the Mad Max universe. Yeah. And eh, I, I don't know. I, I like it because there's also the rumored. I love it. It's just I, I, I think he's shooting a little too big. But boy, I'm happy with what we got, Mike. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Like this, like like it says in the notes here, it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. It won six of them. An action movie to be nominated for Best you Picture is that? insane, right? And it's the first time a movie that is a sequel has been nominated for any Oscars when the previous films were not nominated for any. Mm. So it's it's really unique in that sense. But it took forever. Like at one point they were ready to film it in Australia. Then they had a crazy rainstorm and the desert turned into a flower field. And they were like, well, that's not the wasteland anymore. I guess we can't film it. And then they were getting ready to film it. And then like. Uh, 9-11 in Iraq and stuff. They're like, well, we can't we can't do this yeah. desert shit now. We're going to put that on hold. Can't uh, talk about oil anymore. So it's like all these things just kept conspiring, whether it was studio interference or natural disaster or world events, where it just, it just couldn't happen. And then Mel Gibson getting into trouble also derailed it. So it's like it just couldn't happen. Heath Ledger at one point was going to be Max in this thing mm, before he died. That would have been cool, cool, too. So there's been a lot of obstacles to make this thing happen. And the what we finally got is incredible. And I think a lot of people agree that, you know, amazing, I think, uh, amazing work. Yeah, one thing that's uh, pretty cool is that, like, you know, with modern 
technologies that they didn't have as much, you know, in the eighties and stuff, he's able to do more. And like the action scenes are even more over the top and crazier and more extreme. And I also just like how the whole, this whole little society works with the, you know, a Morton Joe and everything in the, the, in the, the Chrome boys and everything. Yeah. And that the war party, when they're all driving through with the, the fucking do warrior guitar yeah. guy and Doof stuff, warrior. Like, incredible stuff. Well, one benefit maybe of this thing taking 30 years to get made is it really gave him time to just marinate on these ideas. And it like, it basically became distilled into the, this most yes. epic, pure essence of wasteland culture, where you're getting kind of the deepest version of, these extreme characters and stuff because road warrior had it, you know, Thunderdome had it, but this is like turned up to 11, you know, turned up to even 12 and yeah. breaking the knob off and then throwing it out the car window. Um, and just the amount of like different cars and, and vehicles that they have and everything is so cool. And like the world building is just so good in this movie that it just blows my mind. Uh, but and Jacob, then the little guys that he has, his sons and stuff, his, like the little guy in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. But as we mentioned, Jacob, yeah. the one thing this film doesn't have is a 1972 Ford Falcon XB Coupe with mm-hmm. interceptor upgrades. I'm talking about boot well cut so you can see those tires are raised ex- uh, 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 what do you call it? Suspension, a yep. fucking drop-down motor block, shutters on the on the fucking headlights. That is my uh-huh. car, baby. Supercharger popped out the hood, man. Hell yeah, dude. They did cut the spoiler off. You, you get it in the very beginning, and then they t- right. they take it away, which I think is George Miller's way of saying, "Hey, this is Mad Max, right? The past is gone. It's gone. <laughs> Mel is dead." Well, that's what's so <laughs> right. crazy about this movie. It starts with him just like getting kidnapped and just losing everything, losing his car, and just being put to work as a basically a blood bag for these guys, and then having to escape from them. And and the whole movie is just him trying to get away, basically. So it's pretty little great. piece of loose continuity in that first Mad Max vision that he has, Jacob. In that first moment, he sees a little girl running to him. Dad, help me. He yeah, had a yeah. son in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, so that so that kind of makes me think that it's just some other part of his yeah, life that we haven't guy. seen. He's just or, a fucking or that he Tom had a daughter maniac. in the wasteland at some point and he and and lost her somehow, and so that's like part of his his mythos. Yeah, the, and there's no real consensus on whether this is a reboot or it's a continuation or. No one knows. George Miller really won't stay on one side of the fence or the other. He'll kind of elude. I like to think that this Max is not the original Max. It's just someone that he passes car down to. And now he goes by Mad Max and the, the, you know, the folk tales, uh, you know, follow him. But he's 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 a different guy. Right. But to be fair, the original script, this was supposed to be an older Max. It was going to be the last film. So, for example, later mm. on when um the the mothers are talking about the old world TV shows and stuff. Max would have been able to be like, ah, yes, TV shows. I watch those. But now the Tom Hardy version, they can't do that. So it does have to take on this new right. form. Um, but really, in my opinion, this movie is not about Max at all. It is about Furiosa. No. And I think it is about what Furiosa, Mike. Uh, Charlie Theron, incredible. I might be uh, conflating information. You said earlier about the problems they were have getting a location. Her, of course, South African descent. I believe she is the one who pointed them towards Africa. That could be very true. Is, it, is that where they shot it? They shot it in Namibia in the desert. Mm. So you got like 70 year old George Miller being like, yep, kids don't know how to make an action picture. Give me 17 cars, <laughs> weld a bunch of spikes on them. I'll show you how it's done. 
Seventy-year-old yeah. George Miller, uh, Mike, who brought together an action and stunt team, who have gone on after this to all they talk about is like, well, you know, I was part of the Mad Max stunt team. You know, he brought us all together and like taught us this stuff. We learned these things. It was the biggest stunt unit on a, a film for for car stunts in twenty years. Uh, they just the knowledge that you have to do these things hands on to learn this stuff. George Miller's a teacher. Oh, sure. He is a student of film. He's a he's a philosopher of it. And he's like a maverick and 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 like an inventor of technique. In a lot of ways that we mentioned, you know, uh John Romero and John Carmack kind of inventing the technology and then the execution. He did that by like mounting the camera on the car and the techniques he used to film the original Mad Max movie. He's dusting those off again. The original Mad Max had guys pole vaulting on top of a car. He just took that to eleven <laughs> and Fury Road. Yeah. And people right. are obsessed with the technique of speed ramping. Of course, mm-hmm. Zack Snyder has sort of gotten um, used to that with his fight scenes Man and on stuff. Man on Fire has the, that as yeah, well. Yeah, but the off-kilter nature of the Mad Max ones are so distinct, right? Mm-hmm. It makes everything feel they, frantic. Yeah, and like the, even the color scheme of like the, you know, the red dust and the smoke and everything. It's just so, you know, iconic looking. Um, and the, even the designs of the different cars and the different people. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Furiosa, she's great. Uh, big Charlize Theron fan, Theron fan. Um, I love her and she does a great job in this movie. Yep, absolutely. You know, and it's callbacks to the original films too. I mean, an oil tanker chase, that's clearly Road Warrior. Um, even the war boy is saying, witness me, you know, the, the Knight Rider is when he's speeding around, he's saying, do you see me now, Toe Cutter? Do you see me? And he's like, it's basically right. like witness me. Like, do you see how fast I am and how good of a villain? Right. It's like that's like a call. So back. he's kind of just refining his his world building down to this, and it's 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 great. Again, outside of Rambo, no film series showcases what a person can do with their budget. I have this much. This is the type of film I will make. Oh, I have this much. Here's the fucking spectrum. Mm-hmm. And there's a right. theory that he's been he likes to take his idea and then he kind of remade it with Road Warrior and then remade it here. Like he's just trying to refine it with Babe. Yeah. <laughs> babe being in the city. He's just trying to get home. But he's trying to refine those ideas and do them as good as he can. And I think that's really evident here because it is kind of almost a reboot and like creating a wasteland uh, culture. Right. Yeah. He's really just getting better at it every time. Um, but this was a tough uh production you know a lot of the actors tom hardy even hated working on the film didn't know what the hell he was so making we got the number one tom hardy stand here jacob we're going to talk about performance for a minute oh, yeah. <laughs> now mel gibson 16 lines in road warrior you know he's right. cutting it back he's ramping it back up when he gets a little more control on thunder that's only twice as many tom as Boba hardy Fett gets in all of star yeah, wars easily tom hardy gets it in his head he loves that he's going so minimalist he's going so method on set, he isn't talking to people. He will later <laughs> apologize to George Miller at some sort of Australian awards ceremony where they're both at and be like, I don't know why I acted that way to you. Sure. Charlie Theron and him would not speak. Um, wow. Do you like him as Mad Max, Jacob? Is it worth it? Uh, yeah, I do. Because here's the thing. Tom Hardy, first of all, he's a great actor. He's, he's so an amazing handsome. actor. Um, he's a handsome guy. He needed guy. a mask in this. <laughs> it's the only thing holding him back is that he didn't he have did for a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, if, if you bit, know... Like the- yeah, Tom Hardy, if you know his work, you know he loves being in anything where you can have a weird accent or some kind of weird verbal tick. He just loves that. Um, I mean, as Bane, um, he just loves playing these these characters with weird voices. And in this one, he doesn't really speak. He just kind of He does it one time, Jacob. <laughs> he gets one choice to be Tom Hardy where he says, that's bait. 
where he does the weird <laughs> gesture out the door and he goes, the, yeah. the, 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 that's bait. And you're like, what? Why is Max talking like that for one scene I, in a movie? I love him though, because, you know, he's just such a weird guy and, you know, he's always weird in movies, but it's all, it's never the same. So he kind of does something different in each movie. Sometimes, you know, he'll take things from other roles and kind of combine them. But yeah, I just think he's a good actor. He's a little, he's a little method, you know, people like to kind of go overboard with the method acting. So, you know, it is what it is, but I just love Tom Hardy. I love Charlize Theron. So it's a great cast. And I think even if they hated each other while they were making it, they work well, you know, acting off each other. So I think it works. Joe, you are anti-Mal. You're not necessarily pro-Tom, but does he fill the role for you? Yeah, he's a body and that's all it takes. Yeah, (laughs) that's all you need. He's a a body and a face. I mean, like to make a movie that is so well known for its color, but then also release a black and chrome edition that's just as beautiful. Like, I think George Miller could make an action movie with fucking, uh, Hell yes. you know, Kevin James, and it would be the best action movie <laughs> ever. Like, I think he just knows how to create unique action pieces. And, you know, Jacob, you had mentioned special effects before. I think it's also worth mentioning that there's so many practical effects. He's just using, you know, refined methods of them. It's not, look at the Fast and the Furious saga. I mean, that's all CGI compared to uh, what you have George Miller really doing it in the desert. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you can definitely tell the difference. And I was going to say, even the fight scenes are really good in this. Like when, you know, Tom Hardy, or you know, as Mad Max, he's trying to escape this whole movie. Right. So what I really like about it too, is there's like a desperation in everything he's trying to do. So he's just like desperately flailing and just trying to get away any way he can. And the fight scenes between him and Furiosa are great. And then when you have the, the war boy character and everything, just like the hand to hand combat is just really well choreographed and really gritty and, and, you know, really packs a punch and it's interesting. And I think the practical effects really um, are a big part of that because you can tell when something's real and when something's, you know, CG, you can definitely tell. Yeah. And like the sandstorm, it stands out that that's not real, but it's still so striking because it's like, well, those are all the real cars out there. They're really driving that fast. Right. He's just, he's using it as icing. George Miller knows it's just an additive. The best filmmakers, I think they can, they know how to mix practical effects and then augment them with, you know, CG or computer generated stuff. Um, even, you know, someone like Christopher Nolan, he knows how to use practical effects. And then when he, you know, he loves doing practical effects, but he knows when to use computer effects when he needs to augment it. Yeah. There's a lot of set extensions. Like even looking at the do warrior, it's like, you could have just said CG, the flamethrower, but George Miller's like, no, I need this flamethrower to be real, and I also need music to come out of these speakers. Yeah. So when he hits this key, it's actually got to work, guys. Yeah. What? Why? Because it has to, right? It's, it's going to work. Um, because it would. Exactly. And um, yeah, just that action. And the other thing is that the cinematography is a big part of this because the whole movie, because they had 30 years to make it, they hired a comic book artist to kind of draw the storyboards. They had the entire film storyboarded out. And like we said, with the older films, he wants to make it so you don't need subtitles. Everything reads and tracks. The way things are framed, he'll point a gun like to the left of the frame. Your eye goes to the left. And when they do the edit, the target is on the left side of the screen. Just like little attention to detail with framing and continuity between shots. So you don't get lost in this chaotic action is something he got better at. He loves the rules. And he perfected it here. Like it's incredible the way you can track action when there's so much happening. Totally. Yeah. Because Transformers does the opposite of that. Oh, yeah. It's all about <laughs> you. You visual coherence. And I think good filmmakers know how to 
shoot action in a way that's visually coherent and, and bad filmmakers shoot it in a way that's very chaotic and hard for you to tell what's going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you guys remember the Oscar campaign trail. It was not George Miller going on Jay Leno or talking to Conan. It was Christopher Nolan hosts a screening and gets to talk to George Miller. Eli Roth. It was all these filmmakers who were like, oh, my God, there's a new Mad Max movie. James Cameron. It's incredible. It's like one of the best movies ever made. And we get to talk about it for award buzz. I, I was so elated through that whole period. It was just such a highlight, guys. And then for it to actually win stuff. Do you guys remember the costume people going up and being like, yeah! And they absolutely <laughs> deserved it. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Production design, all that. Incredible. So it's it's a tour de force. It's a magnum opus. And I, I want to get more. But Warner Brothers in the fallout of this is been dealing with some shenanigans, which kind of puts, you know, the future of the Mad Max franchise in jeopardy for a little bit. It's so yeah, weird. Yeah, it's a real Mike. shame. We're five years out where you would be thinking, uh, George Miller's 73. You would think, he's back. Okay, so they're going to get him to direct uh, a DC superhero movie. Um, I'm sure the Fast and the Furious people are talking to him. I'm sure this. Quiet. All quiet on the Western front. He's not moving forward. We've got a little news now. And now what we know also is he's engaged in this huge lawsuit where he wasn't paid what he believed he should have got for production fees for the work mm. on Mad Max. And that's why he's stalling his deal with Warner Brothers. Yeah, he won. It is. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think it is odd that, you know, this was not only a award success, this was like a surprise box office success and was actually very successful. So you'd think they'd want to capitalize on that as soon as possible. Um, so it's just a shame that we haven't got any you know, anything else since then. A lot of DVD sales, only $350 million gross. Not a lot in comparison to superhero movies and stuff, unfortunately. But right, when but you think about it, it's a Mad Max movie 30 years after the last one came out, Jacob. Not fucking yeah, I think bad. it exceeded expectations in terms of box office. Um, and I think it shows, you know, give George Miller a budget and, and he'll make some quality stuff. So, yeah, I love Happy It's Feet. a shame. Um, it's just crazy. That, yeah, he, it's never probably the greatest reboot story ever. You take a franchise that's been dead for 30 years, you release a brand new movie, it gets nominated for 10 Academy Awards and wins six of them, yet you didn't pay the man for coming in under budget, and then there's a lawsuit. And it's just, it kind of, yeah. it just goes to show kind of the mismanagement of the franchise throughout the years because he's been fighting for this it's for 30 years, you know, and when he finally does it, it's a Fighting for his lifeblood, Mike. Give him what he wants. Give him what he deserves. So let me ask you guys this before we get out of the movies here. One last little bit of news is we know while we're in quarantine, supposedly, uh, George Miller has had Skype interviews with actresses who might play Furiosa in a Furiosa prequel film. Hmm. Now, is that what you want out of this series? Me personally, I'm kind of done with that story. I might like the direction more of an Ash versus the Evil Dead, like a TV show in the Mad Max universe. But how about you guys? Are you furiosa up? I wish, yeah, you know, when I read the news that they're, this is the kind of spinoff they were going for, is like a Furiosa prequel, not starring Charlize Theron. I was a little disappointed. It wouldn't be my first choice of, of the Mad Max content, content to make next, but I don't know. I mean, you'd really have to cast a, a good actress that could fill the, the role, and I, you know, I just want to see Mad Max go into a different story, and I want to see the next story in the Mad Max you know, you said you said he had this whole book and this was a chapter in it. So I want to see, you know, the other chapters. Now, you are on record that it should be Lindsay Lohan. It should be a <laughs> spinoff about her called Looney Lohan, not even about Furiosa, but her yes. set in the Mad Max universe. <laughs> sure. It's a metaphor yeah, right. for her Hollywood career. <laughs> How about you, Joe? How about Furiosa? 
Uh, I mean, it's fine. It's not what I want. I, I, I've said it a million times. Like, I just want uh, Bond movies that star Mad Max. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. would like six episodes of a miniseries where there's a different actor playing Mad Max each time. Ooh, I love and no I joke. Have a woman for half of them. Like, and they keep fine. making Bond movies with you know diminishing returns. So, why not make some more Mad Max movies? It's expensive to crash that many cars. I love Joe's idea of like an anthology series where it's a different actor for like each episode on Netflix. I think that would be the great. The effects for the outside, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be crazy. I think it's very doable now, Joe. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I see it. That's what I would like to see next. Gotcha. Well, the Furiosa thing, like I would have preferred Charlize Theron, obviously. Um, and then there was the, the partner film to that was supposed to be called Wasteland, which would follow Tom Hardy. Who knows if that's going to happen, but... Um, I could not have another Mad Max movie and be perfectly fine rewatching Road Warrior and Same. Fury Road forever, back to back to back to back, and I will yeah, be. Yeah, it's all, right. all gravy. And it is kind of like you know, if they were to make a sequel, you know, would it be just a, another rehash where they have another chase with another truck and it's you know the same third act? Maybe he's used all the, the most of the good ideas that he wanted to oh, use. Oh, absolutely. You know? Or Jacob, my big fear is that it will be like, we found a device that will reverse the apocalypse and Max has to lead young children. I'll be like, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 don't, no, don't th- touch any of this. Don't explain anything. Right. No, it works best crazy when he's dealing with a small story with, with, you know, just a small set of characters in a settlement and has to go in and, and you know, fix it or whatever. I would but- like a story where he finds a small green alien in a basket and it's up to him to protect that said green little alien from like, say, bounding hunter threats from uh, around the <laughs> galaxy. He, he has to help them get to a new settlement. Sure. That doesn't sound that's familiar to anything. No, not at all. <laughs> and it would be called the Maxalorian. And that's an original idea. That's never made up yet. <laughs> What what I love about kind of these movies is what what do we look at the arc of all four right before we jump out here is we have a man who loses everything, then he loses himself, then he learns to start to care for others, and then he finally realizes that he can't run forever, which is the Fury Road arc. You can't run from your problems. He says, there's nothing out there but salt. I've been in the desert for years. At some point, you have to face what is challenging you, and that's why they turn around and face down a Morton Joe. So he kind of does have a complete arc throughout all four films. He ends up just walking away again, as he always should, uh, you know, David Banner style. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think he has like this was supposed to be the last Mad Max film. And it kind of serves that purpose where he finally like faces his demons, does the right thing. And is at least it's some type of peace and back to Max Rockastansky, I think, by the end of Fury Road, which for me, that could be a complete he can't arc. stay with us. He's never happy where he is, Mike. Well, let's wrap up with what we're talking about now the movies and throw it over to where Mad Max is getting adapted. I want to say pretty well, the video games and the comic book section right after the break. We'll race you there. Normies witness me. Witness Witness me. me. We're back. Welcome to Valhalla, normies. We haven't even mentioned the weird uh, Norse influence in this world. But I guess if you were, so if you're a Morton Joe and you're like 80 years old 
and you've got your war boys who probably only last to like 15 tops, right? And they're just cycling out and out and out. You can tell them fucking whatever you want, big, right? Oh, yeah. You could you could remake that culture all the time. The Jolly Green Giant could have been their god at one point. <laughs> My grandpa believed in the Jolly Green Giant. Yeah, he was a big Thor yeah. Ragnarok fan. He's like, Valhalla's a thing, right? Okay, well, this, yeah. <laughs> he saw that before the fall. Very strange. Um, and but they we're die back. young because they uh, have radioactive blood. Is They're that what radiated. happens? And they have to transmit yeah, well, their blood Well, he's got out. Mr. Tumor as his best friend. Remember, he draws a little <laughs> face on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nux, the war boy. Great character. Uh, we were discussing over the break, Normies. But we're back. We're talking the weird stuff in Mad Max. Even weirder than the films themselves is the stuff that's come out of it. Uh, video games. There was an Atari video game. Uh, I've never played it before. I, I looked at the YouTube. I put in the notes here. It looked a lot like the Spy Hunter video game to me, the way that the car moves around and kind of mm, shoots Yeah, this at was you. the NES, not Atari. Not the... Oh, sorry, NES. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the first licensed um, Mad Max game, kind of Spy Hunter-y, and then also had this kind of top-down, almost Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear kind of perspective, like beat em up A little shooter. Um, it was basically just like reskinned and very poorly made, and um, George Miller like did not like it at all. And this kind of prompted him to be Shocker. very protective of the video game IP for Mad Max. And there was actually a YouTuber I saw who was a huge fan of the Mad Max movies. And at that time, he got to play test the Mad Max game, this Nintendo NES one. And he told them straight to their face, like, this is garbage. I don't know what you think you're doing. Uh, and the studio wow. allegedly also would get like licenses for cheap. Like they got The Last Starfighter and just reskinned their own game to be called The Last Starfighter, but it was just really lazy, really poorly done. So Mm. uh, a poor effort, unfortunately. Normies, the more we do this podcast, the more we are following into the license pit holes where every time we do one of these where I'm like, oh, I wonder what the video games in the the official adapted comic books are like. And they're always fucking garbage. (laughs) So I am glad that as we move closer to things in our own time zone, there is a little more care and attention put in towards these things. Yeah. Yeah, and if we seg into the new game that was created after the success of Fury Road, um, I thought that I played that one, and I thought it was pretty good. I love this video game, Jacob. If we're talking yeah. about delicate hands adapting material, what more would you want out of a video game that makes you literally be in head-on collisions and then just run around in, an, in a sandbox, is what they call the video games, of a literal sandbox? Right. And I think, you know, some people at the time said, oh, it's not, you know, original or anything. It's not, but it's it's the perfect, you know, representation of what you would want a Mad Max video game to be like. It's the aesthetic is very similar to Fury Road. Um, the car oh, combat is Fury great. Road more than, it's not tied to any of them. It wants to be Fury right. Road so bad with the grenade pike lances that were introduced in that world. But yeah. you're 100% right, Jacob. And I mean, yeah, the car combat is probably my favorite thing in the game and like customizing your car is awesome the the hand-to-hand combat is very it's the same as you know the batman the arkham games same style it's Warner as that. Brothers. i mean yeah so it's that you know tap x a bunch of times block do combos but um yeah you go around there's different factions you do quests for and stuff I think, you know, there's a lot of repetitiveness in it and going to, you know, you go to a thing, you loot everything, you, you know, do everything you need to do. Then you go to the next place at the tower, fill out the map. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like a far cry and kind of thing where you're just going from area to area. Assassin's Creed reskin. 
Yeah. I think where it really shines, though, is just that the, the car combat, the racing, um, when you, you slam into cars side by side and you just really do damage to them and just customizing your car. And, and it's, you know, you're making a different car than the, you know, the, obviously the famous Road Warrior, but I think it works really well. We've been saying it a lot. You were attempting to create what is called the Magnum Opus. I believe the man with you is called the Grease Monkey, a literal right. uh, little Igor-esque figure on your Who car. Who rides on he your car with you and fixes it while you stuff. drive. He's fixing your car with you. Uh, yeah, I love it. I got this game for three bucks on a PlayStation sale. It's incredible. Uh, fucking Joe, do you love this with its Batman fighting style combat? Oh yeah, no, I um, you know, a long time ago, uh, in a galaxy far, far away, on our solo episode, we talked about what you would want from a Han Solo video game, and I mean, I feel like this is Ooh. like the dream game we pitched for Solo that you got for Mad Max. Oh, uh, for sure. I also got it super If it was cheap. a Corellian cruiser he was going around in instead of the uh, the Interceptor, I'm fucking with you. You're just driving yeah. around Coruscant, crashing into people, getting out, giving like, give me your fucking money, I'm Han Solo. <laughs> it's exactly what you would want. Um, you can explore so much. You can pick up anything. Like It works really, really well. I've enjoyed it. I never beat this story, but it's never one of those it. ones that sometimes I'll just like, pop back into because like you i got it super cheap i remember a uh, friend of the podcast cole got it really soon yeah. after it came out and being like oh this is fun eventually i will own this and then eventually i did yeah it's definitely a good one to just pop in and just play casually just drive around you know do some, some shenanigans you don't even cost. need to play the story for sure well i'm i'm glad you guys like this game because i find it as a representation of the ultimate betrayal of my lord and savior, George Miller. Whoa. Because I want to blow you guys' minds. This might be some of the most niche stuff here. Now, while this is a very competent uh, open world, you know, wasteland game, you get to customize your car. But the thing is, this is Warner Brothers, right? There had been, between the 1990s game and this 2015, multiple attempts to get a game made. Some George Miller was heavily involved with the development. He had the massive document for Fury Road that had all these storylines he wanted to do, all these characters, right? Whose name does not appear in the credits of this 2015 Mad Max game? Yes. So Uh. what we're seeing here is also maybe part of what this lawsuit is over, is he was kind of removed from any having anything to do with his game when he wanted to be heavily involved in a Mad Max game. And there, That's not good. in kicking him out, Warner Brothers had access to all those pre-production documents for Fury Road that was in works for 30 years. So a lot of elements from this game were taken from those documents. That guy who's on the back of your car, the grease monkey, that's an early concept design for Nux from Fury Road. Wow. There's an oil rig that they go to, which was a big plot point in one of the spinoff movies that hasn't been made yet. The storyline of finding the daughter and taking her back to the mother is a storyline from one of the spinoff movies that hasn't been made yet. So they are just pillaging elements from these design documents that may or may not have made it into Fury Road, and they put them in the game. So in a weird oh, way, a it's a big betrayal to George Miller, although it may have turned out to be a competent game. I, I see yeah. it as an affront to the man who created the franchise. Wow, that breaks my heart. I didn't know any of that, It Mike. makes me sad. Yeah, that is a shame. I don't want to burst your bubble, but sometimes the wasteland is just a wasteland and no one survives or is happy. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's... It's pretty, uh, pretty dark. Warner Brothers mishandles more than just the DC Universe, at least we can say that. <laughs> yeah, and it's... But it's still, I mean, if I was... If I had fucking... 
I mean, the tie is if I'm making the best Batman movie on the planet right now, like they're trying to, you, you have nothing tied to those video games. But if I was the guy who wrote Batman, you would fucking hope I did. Well, so The that, saddest thing know, is man. like the designs of the vehicles are like you could look at the early concept art and it's like straight up. They just took that concept art and put him in the game like they just took his work. The Fury Road, the buzzards that have the shrap metal all over mm-hmm. them. Yes, those are a recurring characters, the like um, scavengers inside the world of Fury Road. Absolutely. Yeah. So wow. they're taking his hard work and his world building, but he gets no credit for it in the final product. And I think that's my, my biggest disappointment with it. Um, yeah. Uh, but that is a but shame. That's facts, and you can't. I was going to say that the it. combat's kind of wonky, but now it's tainted. <laughs> so right. my biggest problem with it is that it broke my heart. It broke my heart too, because I was excited uh, initially when it was announced, and I was like, "This looks pretty competent. It looks like it's decent." Um, but then I, I learned that it was a betrayal, and it made me very sad. Hmm. Um, which that might be part of this lawsuit too, is that he was kind of ousted from this project. So I'm sorry, guys, to bring you down. <laughs> It's all right. Well, you know, Warner Brothers, they, what don't they mess up, you know? <laughs> hey. They have, right, you know, they're handling the, um, the Harry Potter world too. I mean, Miller game, hashtag. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, it, release the Miller if you cut. want a fun Mad Max experience, I hear they do a good job accomplishing that. Just know that it, it comes at a cost. And if you buy it and on I sale, say, you know, you're. Get it at sale. Not paying full price for it. So Please. No, and you don't have to be tied to this universe. Twisted Metal we grew up with as kids. Obviously, vehicle combat, anything that is based around that. It, but as far as modern worlds, Borderlands isn't isn't mm. one of those characters called Mad Maxi or something like that. I mean, that is obviously a direct... The whole game is influenced by Mad Max. The, yeah, Borderlands, Fallout, um, anything, you know, Apocalypse Wasteland is inspired by Mad Max. One of the really. games that got canceled during this run was uh, George Miller found himself on a flight with the president of the company that was doing the original um, Fallout, like when it was still top down. And he was like, I, I love mm. Mad Max. You know, we should work on a game. Wow. And they were going, they were working on a Mad Max game together. And then it just didn't ooh, happen. That would have been like that Blade Runner point and click one. I would have liked that a lot, yes. dude. Ooh, ooh, so ooh. Fallout, like three and New Vegas could have just been shelved and they could have just been making Mad Max licensed games. Right. Well, so fun side fact about, you know, talking about that. So the first two Fallouts, obviously they were a top down totally different company then bethesda bought the ip then that's when they made fallout 3 so the original makers of fallout actually made a new game that's top-down style like the old ones it's called wasteland or wasteland 2 so if you check out wasteland 2 on steam that's made by the original creators of fallout and that could have been where the the ip got lost in the shuffle world Uh, yeah yeah. but you know with that Aside from, you know, a lot of games said Twisted Metal, obviously, an influence. Road Rash was probably influenced by these. Those are some classics. Rage. Genesis, yeah. Um, but some things that are also successful, if we want to jump to the other side of uh, the other media, is the comic books are actually pretty cool. I mean, especially the Fury Road ones. So, Mike, you talked about how you, you have one in your place. Did your copy of Fury Road come with it? Was it also the one that is the silver and chrome edition? No, but, you know, as I've said multiple times, I'm not the comic book guy on this podcast, but I went to a comic book store. I had to call ahead, make sure they had it in stock, and I picked up the first, um, the Immortan Joe and Nux version that kind of explains their Damn. origins. Like, I went and got this. Dude, that's awesome. And I was never able to... Normies! I know. I, I wasn't able to get the other ones because they would always be sold out. And then I, I got fatigued from trying to like, w- when do you have more? So I need to get the rest of the collection. But 
the one that I have explains where Nux came from and where Morton Joe came from and kind of how he took over the Citadel. And it's it's really cool. Have you guys read any of these? I have read literally those two exact issues, Mike, and the reason being, now, the collection that comes with the Fury Road Mad Max comic books that came out, like you're saying, at this time, uh, collected Mad Max stories, Furiosa stories, Nux, and Immortan mm-hmm. Joe. I have found in my history, and especially knowing that they wanted to do a Furiosa spinoff, there's no point in reading tie-in comics that are about the heroes. They're never going to do anything with those. But the villains that always die in the movies, yeah, get a little more background info on them. And I love how Morton Joe rises up and he's like the head of this like water generator. that, And that's why he's like dishing out the water to the people. I love them. They're very cool. Yeah. And Joe, Jacob, you guys seen these at all? Yeah, I read through no. um, the, the, the whole series. I, I was kind of surprised that all you have in the world of comics for Mad Max are these Fury Road just Fury comics. Road. <laughs> right. Yeah, I... Um, it seems like a universe that would be perfect for like IDW or image to buy up and, and make some really great stories. I mean, take all of those pre-production documents and, and just fucking give me, uh, you know, a couple issues of stories from inside the world. I thought the Fury Road prequels were fine, but like, I don't know. I don't really want prequels and explanations for things in Mad Max. I just want more adventures. Okay. So do you have any apocalypse comic recommendations? I was trying to think, you know, we're, we're doing April Apocalypse. I was like, well, we got to do one about the comics or something. Walking Dead is really like the only one that comes to mind. And I, like you, was like, why aren't there fucking tie-in Mad Max comics? Why hasn't Dark yeah. Horse done that like they've done for Terminator for fucking 10 years at this point? I mean, there's um, there's Mad, or there's Walking Dead Crossed, which is like a, a sexually Ooh, violent that is good. version of of the walking dead um and then nameless which is a a sci-fi kind of occult one that i'm working through now so like there there there's definitely out there ice cream Man is a good like, like horror yeah. anthology um so like yeah there there are spooky and and post-apocalyptic comics that we can talk about at some point yeah I, I'll, I'll definitely be down to to talk more about those nice nice um I just want to mention uh, out of these because, yeah, I think there's like like, you know, you could do, you know, the feral child. He could just have a comic like IDW or something like easy. What's he up to? That makes a lot of sense. It could open up with the road warrior leaves, Mm -hmm. you know, and the panel is the feral child watching that happen. A couple panels later, he's 10 years older telling the story. It's the start of him trying to lead the tribe. It's you know, it's this. It's that they did go north. What did they find with the gyro captain? Yeah, there's fucking possibilities. I don't want to yeah, see like stuff like that. I would really love to see. I don't want to see Max I mean, like, or Furiosa. Just stories of people, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Even the you know the Fury Road ones. I like how I think it's the Nux one. Maybe it's the Furiosa one. Opens with like talking about word burgers because there are no books and like <laughs> yeah, I think know, it's the Nux one. Little shit like that. Like that's what I want. That's what I that's like cool. in, in these comics is kind of that little, little touches to the world building that it would be just be fun to see other things. Like how does this work in that universe? Mm, yeah. I mean, I like little things from the Morton Joe one. Like you learn about where the bullet farmer came from. That was one of his generals that he sent to take over the lead mine. And the, um, the people eater was the guy who was in charge and was like, Hey, there's a water citadel over there. You should take it over. He kind of tipped him off. He cuts like a dude's finger off and ties it to a lizard so the lizard will carry a rope up the wall so that they can climb up. <laughs> it's like very weird stuff. But uh, yeah, maybe exploring new characters could be more interesting. Yeah. 
But, I mean... Slim pickings. A lot more could be done here, guys. Like the world of Mad Max, I want to consume more of it nonstop, and it's a shame that we don't have this endless supply. It's it's the water of our world. It's it's rationed like it is in Mad Max, guys. Right. So someone pick up that property and do something with it, damn it. Come on. Well, somebody pay our boy. How does that First sound? First pay George Miller. <laughs> license it out to everybody and everything. All right, we're, we're with you, George. This is a pro-George Miller podcast. Um, but let's hit the wrap-up now, give you our final thoughts on Mad Max as a franchise on Normans. Like I just got a flat normies you're gonna have to leave me behind i'm gonna have to uh i don't know crawl <laughs> crawl under the sand and uh just die here i guess yeah <laughs> yeah it's a bummer guys i'm gonna miss you but uh, the it's apocalypse nice is you. coming to an end for me talking mad max here on normies like us final thoughts we're doing final thoughts here my final thought this is one of my favorite franchises of all time Mike, you said his name before, Max Rokitansky. He's the best. There was a while there as a child where I was like, there are two characters, Ellen Ripley and Max Rokitansky. Mm-hmm. They've both kind of gotten away from me a little bit. Um, I, I wish they were both treated better. Yeah. <laughs> the secret third character, Xander. And the scorpion. And Xander. <laughs> and the scorpion. Which probably, ooh, that needs to be a Mad Max. Me out of this uh, quicksand that I'm in right <laughs> it now. should Let's be. Go. It really should be. Uh, I love Mad Max. I love the posters. We didn't talk about that. The first poster for the first film, I think, is the best poster ever made. Stop. Full stop right there. Mm. It The poster has inspired movies. The poster inspired Rotor. It inspired the pose that RoboCop is in in RoboCop. Uh, mm. If that doesn't show you how influential in Mad Park. Max is, that its posters were ripoff movies exactly, <laughs> then, then come on, normies. Mad Max, I love it. We need it. Give us more of it. All right, I will jump in and kind of do a quick uh, little legacy. You know, Australia has given us many things. It's given us Vegemite. It's given us avocado toast. It's given us uh, (laughs) 4 and 20 meat pies. Uh, But the greatest thing Australia has given us besides Outback Steakhouse is the Mad Max franchise. George Miller is a darling, and it has inspired so much. I mean, are you a Fist of the North Star fan? That's just Mad Max, except he punches people until they explode. And then he goes on to the next town and finds some roving bandits and saves those people. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, I, I love the Mad Max franchise. I love what it's kind of inspired. Fallout, the whole Wasteland weekends in L.A. It's like a renaissance fair for Mad Max nerds. Like, if you've never heard of that, it's out here. Like, you can go and see people's crazy cars. Like, it's just such a cool kind of world idea. I love, you know, the roaming vigilante kind of silent hero. And I love samurai movies. It's the exact same thing with a sick-ass damn car. So... Thank you, George Miller, Mike, for your creation. Surely, surely somebody has written a paper on the fact that it's a, a former prison colony is the last place where humanity survives. I, I love that. I, I forgot the Australia. It comes through in it, baby. Yeah, Australia. It's something about it. And, uh, you know, fuck Mel Gibson, but Mad Max is awesome. That's my final <laughs> yeah. thoughts. We will not be doing a legend episode on Mel Gibson. Uh, I'll but do a Jacob has been asking us to do a passion episode for Easter. Uh, we will officially <laughs> say now on podcast, it's not happening, Jacob. <laughs> Never. Dang. Um, yeah, I just think, you know, 
obviously you guys, I'm a huge, I'm a Mad Max fan, but you guys are even bigger fans than I am, but I need to go back and rewatch the old movies. I would love to, to watch those, maybe binge them during this quarantine time that we all have. Um, but I just think the, you know, the influence it's had on just a whole genre of like post-apocalyptic stuff that like so much of it is inspired by this, like fallout borderlands, you know, the walking dead, anything that you can think of that's like set in a post-apocalyptic world, there's going to be some, uh, influence from that, whether it's aesthetics or characters or like even story, you know, beats or something like it's just inspiring so much. So, uh, that's, I think the legacy of that. And I wish, you know, we got more from George Miller, not that I want to, you know, pressure him just to, you know, whatever he wants to do, uh, you know, I'm good for, but, uh, I just wish we could see more, of the Mad Max world. But you have said before he dies, you want a mashup of Babe, Happy Feet, and uh, The Road Warrior. That, that's yes. the next film. Absolutely. Absolutely. Babe, Maybe Pig Warrior babe. with feet. <laughs> yeah. Happy Pig in the, in the Fury. Yeah. <laughs> Joe. You know, I love to compare this to The Evil Dead, right? Because they're both uh, DIY franchises from filmmakers that I adore. Hell yes. And both feature a protagonist who, in every single movie, retells his origin story with slightly different details. They are universal fables. They are folk stories about bad men just trying to do the right thing. And uh, I love the world building. It's been such an inspiration on my style and, and things that Colin and I have done. Uh, it's a universe that's near and dear to my heart. I love what it's inspired. I love thinking about it. Big fan. Very cool. I mean, I've been Mad Max for Halloween. You know, I'm not a car guy, but I know that that's Ooh, wow. the Ford Falcon. I'm not a gun guy, but I know that he has not, a sawed not a car guy. I know that car, Mike. Yeah, yeah I'm with you, baby. <laughs> and shout outs to Waterworld. I don't think uh, we, we need to at least mention oh. <laughs> Mike. Oh. Mike, <laughs> at least Mike. They have a hot air balloon instead of the gyro captain. Yeah. They have the smokers instead of uh, uh, the war boys. Yep. That movie wants to be. I didn't even what think about that. That movie wants to be Mad ass. Max so fucking bad. It's really. It's that's the worst Mad Max movie. Yeah, for sure. Yes, you're right. In in the new ranking, they should they should put Waterworld in the DVDs with Mad Max, and you'd be like, what yeah, the at least fuck those people would get some residuals in that case. They would actually sell it. Dude, Mad or Waterworld's like six hours long too, so uh. you could just like divide each hour up into one of the movies that you get uh see road warrior comes with the second act uh, <laughs> and kevin yeah, but my favorite part about mad max is that he doesn't have gills like the mariner <laughs> and the mariner yeah if you think about it, kevin costner is kind of like a poor man's mel gibson right hey, they're both angry <laughs> <laughs> probably i don't know but anyway just wow what a revolution a revelation people, at the yeah. end of the episode mike <laughs> um so that has been Waterworld. thank you so much as always normies hey you guys looking for uh, me it's aquaman i love Waterworld. what's up <laughs> oh shit he arthur. would do well in Waterworld. arthur Hell you yeah. would do we're very well arthur DC. we're talking mad max you would actually do terrible in this universe you would fucking <laughs> hate it here Too dry so, for me, dog. so be on your way pal <laughs> <laughs> all, all right, right. This has been uh, Normies Like Us with your hosts, um, Cannibal Colin. No, Crazy Colin. I'm going to go to be Mad Mike. I'm Morton Joe. This is uh, Bloodbag Jacob. I'm just a little bloodbag. Thank you, Normies. <laughs> thank you. As always, check us out at Normies underscore like underscore us. Rate, review, subscribe. It helps us out. And enjoy Aprilocalypse, baby. Stay safe. Stay inside. Ah!
Witness us. We are awaited on the top of the podcast charts. Thank you so much, Normies. Please stay safe. Catch you next time. Bye. Witness me. Oh, hell yeah. This is Aquaman, and if you enjoyed that episode, I'd really appreciate it if you give it a like, share, and subscribe on iTunes, and you'd really be one of my man if you share with a friend. We'll be seeing you around.